Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, we just turn this time over to you this morning. Uh, Lord, I ask your blessing on it. Lord, I ask that you would take these words and notes and, and little post-its that I have, Lord, and just take it and create something really beautiful. Uh, this is yours. It's your time. We're here for you. Lord, we're here to worship. We do that through our singing. Lord, we do that through our study of your word, and we do that through prayer. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning, Heavenly Father, that you would take this time now and just bless it mightily. Lord, in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, Deuteronomy, uh, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to talk for a couple of minutes about Deuteronomy because we've got some new folks here and we're only in chapter five. So you haven't missed much, although in, in, in some regard, you've just missed a ton, but but uh, anyway, here we've got Moses. He's got the, the next generation of the Israelites who um, are about to go into the promised land. You know, the, the study is called These Are the Words because that's what Deuteronomy means. It's the, it's, it's, technically, it's called the second law, but it's kind of the retelling of the, the words that God told them, which we're going to kind of look at today. And, and so maybe you don't know, but the, the first wave of Israelites as they came out of Egypt, they didn't actually go in and possess the land that God had called them to go in and take. They were disobedient in their, in their faith and their trust in God. And so they're like, no, no, we can't go in. It's scary. They're giants and big cities, and, and we're not going to go in. And so God said, okay, well, then you're going to stay out until you all die. But then your children are going to be raised up and they're going to go in. And that's where we are in Deuteronomy right now. That's where we are, where Moses is saying, look, you remember, many of you remember because you were here, uh, you know, when, when you heard God speak from the mountain to your parents, you were all here and you heard this. It's all still true. His promises are all still real. Um, and now prepare yourself to go into the promised land. And that's kind of what we've been looking at here. Um, there's a real theme of obedience in the book of Deuteronomy, but the, the theme that I was getting this week, do I do this a lot? I just realized that. Do I do this a lot? <laughs> the theme this week that I'm really getting is, is balance and order. Balance and order. So we're going to look at some of that today. You know, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Verse 1, and we looked at this. I'm not going to go back through everything, but there are some things in here that I really want to point out. In chapter one, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, Moses re reminds them, he says, that he called out to them and he said, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn and be careful to observe them. And there's two words right there, hear and observe, or observe means what? Do. Obey. Yes, obey. Do. Hear and obey, hear and do. And he's, he's giving them this order. He's saying, this is important. You have to hear, but you also have to do, right? Can you just hear and, and not do? No. Can you not hear and do? No. I mean, you could. You could try it. You could try it. Like, what happens if you just hear? If you just hear the word of God, what happens? It doesn't get in. You don't, you don't obey, you're only working on, uh, on, on nothing. There's, there's no action in your life. But what happens if you only do, but you don't hear? What are you working off of? Your own knowledge, your own wisdom, your own strength. Right? He says right here to them, and he's saying it to us as well. You need both. You need the balance. You need hear, and you need do. They're essential 
steps. Here, do, here, do. It's like a recipe, right? Um, we have a bake-off coming up next week, by the way. I know Cesar said the trophy was like a Grammy. It's not like a Grammy. You get to keep a Grammy. It's like the Stanley Cup. You have to give it back and then compete again. Steve. Uh-huh. It's like a recipe. Recipes have parts that you need all the parts in. What if you try to make an apple pie, but you leave out the apples? What do you have? <laughs> Crust, really, right? Which is delicious, but you're missing some essential parts, right? And the order, too, is important, right? What if you bake it first and then put the apples in? You, that's what you should do, Steve. <laughs> it's the, the parts and the pieces and the order, they're important. You got to hear the word of God, and then you have to do. In fact, as I was thinking about this week, I was reminded of a verse that's written on a whiteboard in one of the Sunday school rooms in Matthew that says, uh, Jesus says, um, those who hear the word of God, and do I liken to the man who built his house on the rock, and then the wind and the rain and the floods come in, and they beat against the house, but the house stands because it was built firmly on the rock. But the man who hears but doesn't do is the man who built his house on the sand. And the same, by the way, wind, rain, and storm come in and beat on the house. But that house falls. And not only falls, it says, and the fall was great because he didn't hear and do. Now, here's the confusing part. This is where people are like, well, how much do I have to do? And what's doing? What's the good? Here's where I want to clarify this. And we're going to see some of this as well as we look at the Ten Commandments even that God gave them. What is the do part? Because we know that we don't have a salvation that's based on works. If you were with us, we just went through Galatians and all of Galatians is talking about the grace of God. Well, what's the do? <laughs> what's the do? <laughs> Here's the thing. God's going to say to do all the things that I command you. Or what's the whole first part of what he commanded? The whole first half of what he commanded them to do. The, what are the first four commandments having to do with? Your relationship with God. So you have to hear the commandments of God. You have to hear who God is, but then you have to believe that it is true what he says of himself and who he says he is. The believe, the do is the believe. You have to hear it and you have to believe it. Now the Bible does say once you believe there are things that I have set aside for you to do, but those things are um, kind of a result of after you've believed. So when he says, you have to do the things that I command you to do, it means that you have to look at those things and you have to say, I'm the only God there is, don't have any other idols, don't bow down to anything, you have to believe, right? Do you get that? Does everyone get that? Just do this. Excellent. So Jesus is saying, you have to, the, the man who hears but doesn't do, is saying the man who hears my word but doesn't believe in who I am builds his house on the sandy foundation that is constantly shifting around. And so when the storms come in, the hard times come in, and it all crumbles down and the destruction is great, but the one who hears and does or hears and believes builds his house on the rock, the foundation of who? Jesus. And then the storms come in. Do you realize in that story, though, both houses are hit by storms, the same storms. 
The same storms hit. The difference is who is your house built on? The rock of Jesus Christ or your own sandy foundation? That's here and do. That's here. And I do believe in who he is, who he says he is, who he claims to be. And, and Moses is making this point to them right at the beginning. That's just my post. I didn't rip my Bible. So then he goes on, right, in, in, chap, in, in chapter 5, verse 4, it says, The Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. This is balance, okay? We had order before. Now we have balance because he says he talked to them face to face from the midst of the fire. There's two, two things there, face to face. That's a saying in, in Hebrew. That was a saying that would, that would indicate intimacy. Face-to-face is how you would talk to somebody. Now, it's a figure of speech that he's using right there. He's not really saying that God came down because we know that God didn't come and stand face-to-face with them. But he's talking about God came and spoke to them face-to-face, speaks of God's intimacy with his creation. But at the same time, he says it was out of the midst of the fire. There's balance. See, God is saying, uh, I am the God, the creator of the universe. I spoke it into being, and it was. I've created everything. He will say in his word, I'm the only God there is on heaven and in earth. I'm the one who created you simply by speaking it. But I want an intimate relationship with you also. We need to get that right. We need both. You can't just have a from-the-fire relationship with God because then you will never draw near to him. But you can't just have a face-to-face relationship because then you will never have the proper awe and reverence of God that he deserves. Then you're like, oh, you know, God, I'm a pale. God's my pale. God's my buddy. You know, it's good to think that Jesus is your friend, right? But he's also the God of the universe that created everything, and he demands reverence and awe. We need both. You have to have both or you're out of balance. Face to face from the midst of the fire. <clears throat> okay, so this is where we, last week we went through Moses kind of re-goes, retells them the Ten Commandments, remember? Because he reminds them that, like, you heard them. You, you were there. You were kids, some of you, but you heard God speak from the top of the mountain. He actually audibly gave you all of the Ten Commandments, you and, and your, and your uh, parents, and he kind of goes through them all again, and we looked at those. But what was the most, really the most important thing that we looked at when we looked at the Ten Commandments here? The first four, let's just review it real quick, the first four. Uh, you shall, uh... <laughs> wow. All right. There's going to be a test next week. Definitely going to be a test. So I'm your only God. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't use my name in vain. Don't make any idols and bow down to them. Right. And so what does God do in those first four? What he says is the first four commandments and the order is important that they come in. That's it's important that those are the first four as he's saying, I'm God. I'm the only God. You aren't to worship any other God, make any other idol. You have to have this right. You and me, you have to understand who I am, who I say I am, and this relationship has to be right. Then he goes on to the other six that have to do with 
me and you. I'm not going to kill you or steal from you or be jealous of you or uh, uh, bear false witness of you, uh, any of those things. But I can't do this successfully if I don't have this in order first. You see that? Order and balance. My relation, it makes a little cross shape. See, that's how you can remember. My relationship with, G- with God and me has to come first and be in order before this works at all. If I don't have this, this isn't going to work. The unfortunate part we see right now is we've, we're just living in a world that's like, well, well, God doesn't exist, and I don't want him to be around, and I don't want to be accountable to a God that's a creator, so no God, but let's just work on this right here. And then we see the whole system is failing. It's breaking down. You know, so people are kind of nice to each other when everything's good, but as soon as things aren't exactly comfortable... It breaks down really quick, doesn't it? My friend used to say that civility is a thin veneer, right? So we're all good. Like there was a time up in, I'm from New York, and uh, there was this one time when we had this brownout, right? And uh, we kind of lost power. And like the whole area, we lost power. And it was, uh, you know, the first day or so, it was kind of campy and fun. I mean, everyone was just like, we're all hanging out outside. We're like, sitting on our stoops and we're meeting our neighbors and it was all good. And then like three days go by and you're like, what's the power going to come back on? Four days go by, right? And now we're still driving around because our cars work, but none of the traffic signals work. And I tell you what, people are going, shoot, shoot, they're flying through, they're honking their horns. And I'm like, what happened to all the nicey nice? It's all gone. It's all gone because, you know, the people are saying, well, we, you know, we need to be nice to each other. We need to relate to one another, but they have no relationship with God. And so it doesn't work. It falls apart. And God is reminding them just in the order alone. It's you and I. That relationship has to be right before any of this will work at all. If you take God out of the equation altogether and all you have is this, good luck. Because we're looking around. We, we can see. I mean, it's, people are hostile to one another. Just, just go on Facebook once. And look at the comments to anyone's post. It's just negative, negative, negative. That's the, do you know, this is a sign of how negative things are. Just check the weather out sometime. The weather will say, today is going to be mostly cloudy, right? The next day, it will say, partly cloudy. Well, how come it doesn't say mostly sunny? If it was mostly cloudy the day before, how come when it's only partly cloudy, how come we don't refer to that as mostly sunny? It's this just as true. It's because we're negative. People are negative. I was just, it's, well, now it's only partly cloudy. Almost not cloudy at all. That's the thing is like sunny days are just going to become, it's almost not cloudy at all days. <laughs> That's such a shame. That's such a shame. <laughs> So then, uh, I love this 22. These words, the Lord spoke to the assembly, to all the assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added, no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. Now, this is where we left off last week. So it was, when we heard that the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire that you came near to me, all, you came near to me and all the heads of the tribes and your elders, and you said, surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? 
for this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more than we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who can hear his voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? And so there's a moment where they're saying, please don't let there be 11 commandments because if there's even one more, we're just going to fall over dead. But they're like, why should we be subject to the voice of God and die? We don't want to die. And then they say, Moses, you go. (laughs) Poor Moses. They're like, we don't want to die. Moses, you go. (laughs) We're okay if you die, Moses, but (laughs) you go and you hear from the voice of God. He says, and you go and hear all that the Lord may God may say. Uh, to us and all that the Lord God says to us, you will hear, we will, we will hear and do it. See, they have just heard God give them all of his commandments right there from the, from the fiery mountaintop. They hear it right from the mouth of God. And they come to Moses and be like, we can't take any more. Why don't you go up and talk to God and, um, and just come back and whatever he tells you, we'll do that. Does it strike you as odd? Like he's already told them what he wants them to do. And yet they say, whatever God tells you, Moses, you go up and you hear from God and whatever. It's like, he, like God is going to say something different to Moses now. Like he's like, oh, okay, was that too much? All right, I'm just going to give you one or two commandments now. No, but they have uh, said to him, Moses, you go up to the mountaintop and you talk to God and whatever he tells you to do, we'll do it. Now, when I read that, I think, man, they kind of they were kind of overestimating their ability to be able to fulfill what God was telling them to do, right? Because you know the story, Moses goes up to the mountain to hear from God and not even 40 days go by and they're like, I don't think that guy's coming back. You know what we should do? Let's make a golden calf and dance around that and worship that and that's exactly what they do. They've already said to Moses, I mean, they're shaking, they're cutting. They say to Moses, you go up and hear from God. And when you come back, whatever God has told you to do, we'll hear you and we will do that. And Moses goes away and they're just like, hmm, you know, a calf would be good right now. And they create a calf and they worship the calf and it's not even 40 days have gone by. And so I feel like they've kind of overestimated their ability in their own strength to say, you know what? We could totally do this. Whatever you say, we could totally do And at first I think, oh, those pathetic Israelites, they just can't get it right. (laughs) And every time I say that, God goes, really? Have you ever said to yourself, I'm going to change this time for sure? Has anybody ever said that? Anybody? How many times have you joined a gym after New Year's? How many times have you bought a pair of sneakers that just slip on because you convince yourself that if I just had to slip them on, not have to bother with all that pesky tying, I'd get out there and I'd be walking every morning. Is that too specific of an example? (laughs) How many of you bought a fancy Bible journal notebook for all those great notes that you're going to start to take? from your personal Bible studies that you're going to start do every single day. And we convince ourselves, I am going to change. I can change. I can do it. This overconfidence in our own ability to change ourselves only to find 40 days later, we're dancing around the golden calf again. Oh, pathetic Israelites. (laughs) I know I'm going to get a great big printout of the Ten Commandments. Big. 
I'm going to put it on my bedroom wall so that every day I can look at the Ten Commandments and like, there, there, I'm going to do those. And they're going to make me better. They're going to make me clean. They're going to make me change. And I'm going to be amazing before God because I'm going to keep all those commandments. They're going to clean me up, those commandments. You know, the commandments actually weren't meant to clean you up. The commandments aren't a washcloth to clean yourself up with. The commandments are a mirror for you to peer into to see just how filthy you are. Because you look into them and you say, man, I am more selfish, more sinful than I realized. But there's no way I can come before a holy God like this. Actually, you know what? They thought the same thing. The Israelites thought, we can't go before a holy God. Moses, you go. You be our mediator. It says that, that Moses said, I'll be the mediator. I will go in between you and God. And along the way, they established uh, the Levitical priesthood, the priests that were supposed to be the mediators, the ones that would take on the people's sin and offer the sacrifices that were offered from the people to God, but somewhere along the line, a guy comes into the scene. You know what his name was? Jesus. Jesus comes and he says, you know what? I fulfilled the sacrifice. I fulfilled the law. Um, I've done everything perfect. Now I'm the great high priest and the only one left. I'm the one that offers the perfect sacrifice. I'm the one who will get you cleaned up. And then I will present you to the Father. Right? It is Jesus who cleans you up. You know, maybe you're here and somebody dragged you here today. And you were afraid that as you walked through the door that, you know, God was going to look down and be like, that guy? I better strike him down with lightning before he even steps across the threshold. Because maybe you're thinking, well, you got to get yourself cleaned up before you come in here. But see, Jesus says, no, you come as you are. Come as you are. Because the fisherman cleans the fish after he catches them. You see, Jesus says, I love you too much. I love you too much to, to, I love you so much, I'll take you however you are. But I love you too much to leave you that way. I'm going to work on you, and you're going to change, you're going to be changed. I love that. Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is our great high priest. He is the one through whom we come and get clean. The Ten Commandments aren't there to clean you up. You don't pick up a mirror and look at it and go, man, my face is filthy. It's not designed to do that. So they say, Moses, you go. And then the Lord heard the voice. This is verse 28. The Lord heard the voice of the words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. He's saying, yes, that's great. They're saying they're going to listen. They're going to do everything that I'm asking them. Great. But then 29, he says, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children. First of all, you see that little part of that verse gives you some insight. Like, why did God give them these commandments? To make them righteous? No, we already know that because he loved them. It says that I'm giving you this so that it might be well with you. It's coming from a place of loving compassion that he's like, look, if you do these things that I'm telling you to do, it's gonna be much better for you. Imagine now, 
Imagine right now if all we did was follow the last six commandments. Imagine if we didn't kill one another. We didn't steal from each other. We didn't lie about each other. What if we didn't uh, covet each other's stuff? Imagine if we were to do that. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that that category, that would, that would kind of fall under that, it would be well with us, right? But as we already talked about, can we do this just less, less six successfully without the first four? No, no, we can't. But he, he looks here and he says, oh, that they would have a heart to do those things that I've called them to do, that they would have a heart to believe I am who I say I am and that I will do what I said I would do. And he, he's lamenting over this fact, that God laments over the fact that he knows that they are not going to be able to do it and that it was, oh, it's going to be a struggle for them over and over. And, and actually, Jesus carries this throughout the New Testament as well. There's, there's a few places in the New Testament where we see Jesus lamenting, lamenting. One of them is, uh, maybe you don't know this actually, when he uh, is told by his friends that, uh, that his friend Lazarus has, is sick. You know, he's, he's uh, sick, he's on the verge of death and come quick and, and you can heal him. You know, he was close enough to get there in time. But he waited because he had a plan. He had a purpose. And he waited. And finally, after a couple of days, he heads over there and, and Lazarus has died. And uh, um, they, uh, Martha comes out and she says, uh, oh, uh, Jesus, is, he's already passed. And Jesus says, you'll see him again. And she says, oh, I know, I know, I'll see him in the resurrection. And Jesus is like, mm, no, I got something else planned. But he goes there. And as he comes up on the place that they all are, it says that they were weeping. And it says that Jesus saw their weeping and he was greatly disturbed. You know what that means? Now, maybe you've always been taught that that part, greatly disturbed, means that he was also very sad. But that is not what the Greek says. The Greek says that he was... It says that he made a noise like a horse snort when it's frustrated. There's just not a good word for that. He just kind of went. <sighs> <laughs> but it says that Jesus saw all this weeping that was going on, and it was like he was frustrated. Now, you have to understand, this is getting near the end for Jesus. And so he's been working in different places, in different cities, you know, doing different signs, telling everybody who I am. I am the son of God. I am the one. And so he sees them and they're, and they're weeping and he's, he's frustrated. And he makes a kind of a snorty sound. And then he walks up to the tomb and uh, um, it says that he was weeping, right? Jesus wept, right? It's the shortest First, if, if you want to memorize scripture and you just can't, you can't do it, let's all say, Jesus wept. There you go. You can leave today thinking, I memorized the Bible verse. Jesus wept. But you're going to have to look it up to find out what the reference is. I'm not going to tell you. But see, and they all looked at him and they said, oh, look how much he cared for him. Was Jesus crying over the fact that Lazarus was dead? No. Because we know in the story, he, he raises him from the dead. So he, why would he be weeping and mourning over a guy that he knew that he was going to bring out of the tomb alive? Jesus was lamenting over their unbelief in that moment. He says to them, roll that stone away. And everyone's like, Jesus, <laughs> he's been in there four days. In the New King James, it says, he stinketh. <laughs> And of course, you know the story, Jesus calls out to him and, and Lazarus comes out. But, 
the, the main point that I'm trying to tell you today is that Jesus was lamenting over their, their lack of, of belief. Later on, um, he says to them, he's giving this whole discourse, and he says to them, oh, Jerusalem, oh, that I would gather together your children like a hen gathers its chicks, but you will not. And on the day of Palm Sunday, as he's writing in, it says, as he was coming near to the city, he said that same thing. He lamented and he said, oh, that you would know this day, your day, that this was the day that your Messiah was arriving, but you were blinded to it. And Jesus laments, just as God here laments over their unbelief. Oh, that, that touches my heart. It touches my heart because I wonder if there are days when Jesus looks into my life and he says, oh, if you would, have that heart. If, oh, that you would have that heart of belief today in the situation that you're facing. You're filled with anxiety today. Oh, that you would have that heart inside to trust who I am and who I say I am and what I say I will do. So you just say, okay, here, I trust you. I believe in you. I will hear and I do believe. Go, he says in verse 30, and say to them, return to your tents. But as for you, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all of the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which shall teach them that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. And then in verse 30, now it switches, right? That was all kind of historical. Now he's talking to them right here in this moment. Therefore you, therefore you. Now, Remember, when you see therefore in the word, what, what, do you, what do you have to do? And what's it there for? That because it just said something that's important for you to remember. And he's saying that, oh, that they would have a heart to believe in what it is that I'm telling them and who they are. So he says, therefore, you, and he's reminding them, you need to know who I am. You need to believe it because you're going into a land that's going to be difficult and hostile and, 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 and lots of pagan worship. You need to know this. You should be careful to do as the Lord has commanded you, that you shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. The word aside there in Hebrew, it means to withdraw or go back. So he's saying, be careful that you, when you go in, you don't withdraw. You don't turn away or go back to where you were before. Don't do that. And how tempting is it to do that when you're going into something uncertain? Isn't that very tempting when you know you're facing some uncertain future to look back and say, you know, I mean, that wasn't the best, but at least I know it. Remember, they're wandering around in the wilderness and they're like, oh, this is really hard. There's no water. There's very little food. If we were only back in Egypt, it was so much better. There were food, there was leeks, there, were, there was garlic, there was bondage and whips and, and hard work. But, oh man, we had garlic. Sometimes, you know, when you find yourself in that dry or dark place, you're just like, oh, you know, it was better before. It was better. It wasn't better. It wasn't better. He says, don't turn aside to the left or to the right. Do you know what that means, to the left or to the right? Literally, it means to the left or to the right. But it means your surroundings, your circumstances. 
How often is what you believe affected by your circumstances? What's going on around you? You look around and you're like, oh man, oh, my job is really hard. Oh, school is really hard. Oh, my family is difficult. (laughs) I didn't say anything. (laughs) You're all laughing because you know, but you look around to your left and your right and you start to get overwhelmed by what's going on around you. You start to become overwhelmed and and influenced by your surroundings rather than to do what? Look up. Remember this part? If you get caught up in this part, you may not do this part. And then you're caught up. Do you remember the story where um, the disciples are out on a boat and uh, it's nighttime and they see uh, a figure walking across the water? Um, and, and, the, and, and it turns out to be Jesus, <laughs> luckily. And um, it, the, the, the text makes it, it reads like Jesus would have walked right on by. He was just out for a stroll on the water, apparently. And they looked over and they said, oh my goodness, it's a ghost. And they're like, oh wait, it's Jesus. And so Jesus says, hey, Stop. And so Peter says, oh, Jesus, if that's you, call me out to walk on the water. And so Jesus says, okay, come. And so Peter steps out of the boat onto the water, onto the water. And he starts, he's got his eyes locked on Jesus, and he's just walking across. He's literally walking across the surface of the water, right? But it was stormy that night, and there were some waves going on left and right. And all of a sudden, Peter, you know, he, what does he do? He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he starts looking this way and looking that way, and he starts looking at the waves, and what happens? He starts to sink. He starts to sink because he's taken his eyes off of Jesus, and he starts to look to the left and to the right. And that is where he starts to sink. Now, luckily, Jesus walks over. You know what he does? He reaches out his hand like this. And what did Peter have to do in that moment? Take it. He had to reach out and he had to take Jesus' hand. And as soon as he did that, right back up onto the surface again. And that's what this is talking about. It's a warning. It's like, don't turn to the left or to the right, but keep your eyes locked on Jesus. In fact, I wrote a note here, first four first. First four first. You know what that means? The first four commandments first. Lock your eyes on God. Get this relationship. And you will not be overwhelmed by the things to the left or to the right. But if all you're doing is focusing on the left and the right, you're going to sink. You're going to sink. You're going to drift away. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it says, we must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. You need to pay pay careful attention to what you have heard so that you do not drift away. Have you ever gone to uh, the beach and you put your stuff down and then you go into the water and uh, if, you know, it's a little bit wavy in the Gulf, not too bad, but you know, you like, all right, there's our stuff. And then you're, you know, looking around and all of a sudden you start looking for like dolphins or sharks or whatever. Um, and you're not really paying attention. You're just kind of looking this way and that way, and you're watching everything. And then you look up to find your stuff, and where is it? 
it's like 50 yards down the beach. And without even realizing it, you've drifted away because you've taken your attention off of that thing. This, this is the fear. This is the, the warning. Do not take your eyes off of Jesus because you will drift away. Have you ever drifted away? You, you know, you don't have to raise your hand. Do you ever find yourself in a place where you're like, man, I feel really far from God right now? Well, I have a secret. God didn't go anywhere. You went there. You drifted away. The good news is he's still there, and he's like, all you have to do is turn from the direction that you're going and come in my direction. You know what the Bible calls that? Repentance. Repentance. See, the realization that, oh my goodness, I'm far from God. I, I have been in disobedience. I've been sinful. That has caused me to come away. That realization and that saying, God, I, I, I don't know how I got here. I kind of do, but I don't want to admit it, but I have. That's confession. Turning around and saying, but I'm coming back to you. That's repentance. And you keep your eyes locked on him on your way there. He says, he says, don't turn. Be careful not to turn to the left hand or the right. But you shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you. And that you may prolong your days in which you shall, in the land which you shall possess. And so God, God says, look, if you do these things that I'm telling you to do, you will have a right relationship with me. And in the process, you, it will be well with you. Again, remember, he's not saying you're going to be super righteous. He's not saying that. He's saying it will be well for you. Your life will go much more smoothly. Now, they don't do that, do they? No, they don't. In case you don't know. They don't do it. They do a poor job of doing it. And they find themselves struggling. They find all kinds of problems. They find God chastising them through the, the captivity of, of other nations. And every time they do it, they call out and they say, God, we're sorry. And you know what God says? Tough. No, he says, okay, come back. Come back. In fact, just like two chapters ago, he said, there is nowhere that you can go that, that you can't come back to me from. As long as you seek me with all of your heart, he says. As long as you seek me with all of your heart, I will take you back. And I'll forgive you. And I can't help to think that there are folks here that are like, I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone. You're not. You're not too far gone. Uh, are you breathing? How many, how many of you are breathing? Is there anybody not breathing as long as you're breathing, you're not too far gone. You can be forgiven. There's a process. Confession, repentance. That's how it works. But God is so good. He's so compassionate. He says, yes, come back. He says, because I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous for you. I do not want to share you, but I will allow you to go out. I will allow you to do whatever you want to do. You're not going to like it, ultimately. It's not going to be good. There's probably some folks here, maybe, maybe you're here, maybe you heard this today, and you thought, man, I have drifted away. I have drifted away. 
taken my eyes off of Jesus and I've drifted away. So we're going to pray about that today. We're going to pray about that today. In fact, let's all stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come down front, although I considered it. You know what? No, forget it. I am going to ask you to do that. I am going to ask you to come down. If you feel like in your walk with, with Christ that you have at any point in the last weeks, months, days drifted away, you know what? We're going to pray. I'm just going to ask you to come down because, because we're going to pray. We're all going to pray with you and for you. We're just going to pray that you would turn your eyes back onto God and that you would get back on track. And so I'm just going to ask you, if, if there's anybody right now, and you know what, I get it. If, if it's too embarrassing, just stay where you are. Oh, good. Thank you, Courtney. Amen. Amen. Just come down because we're just going to pray. If you feel like you've drifted away at some point and you need uh, some prayer because you're like, I got to get my eyes fixed back on the Lord because it's just gotten too easy or too distracting to the things that are going on in my life right now that have pulled me to the left or to the right and I've lost my focus. Right, we're going to pray. God bless you guys. All right, everybody, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this day, for this time, for this morning here at this church that you've provided for us, Lord. We thank you for your word that you've given us, Lord, that we can open it up and that we can study it, Lord. We thank you for the reminders that you've given us that even though we wander, you are always steadfast and in place and ready to take us back, Lord. And Lord, even though sometimes we do not heed your warning to keep our eyes fixed on you and we get distracted by the things onto the left and to the right of us, Lord, I thank you that you say, if you seek me with all of your heart, you are welcome to come back. Lord, I thank you so much for these folks who have come forward right now who are saying, Lord, forgive me. I've, I've been pulled astray. I've been withdrawn. I've gone back to some degree to where I was. And Lord, I don't want that. Lord, I want to fix my eyes squarely upon you this morning, Lord, and I want to walk in your ways, Lord, that it might be well with me. So, Lord, I pray over each and every one of these folks who've come up forward here today, Lord, would you please give them a, a new and refreshing dose of the Holy Spirit this morning, Lord, that you would wash over them anew. Lord, even as we're praying right now, Lord, and we're gathered in your name, if the presence of the Holy Spirit wants to rattle these walls, that would be awesome. Lord, Lord, I thank you so much. Lord, I just pray over every one of them. Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord, thank you for their lives and thank you for their commitment to you, Lord Jesus. We ask this in your name, Jesus, the only name with power, Lord. We ask this in your name, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. God bless.